right? We are going to have the Bible read for us before James comes and speaks. So if you have a Bible, you'd like to turn to John chapter 15, and Heather is going to come and read for us. Today's reading is from John chapter 15, verse 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Good stuff. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? You nod. Good, good, good. We'll ask before I get started that you guys would pray for my family and I this week. Uh, we've had, uh, a lot of you know we do foster care. We've had our longest placement yet. He's been with us for a little boy, about uh, 14 months. I know a lot of people at church are like, you have a, you have a foster boy? It's because we've been in lockdown the whole year. So we've had him, we've had him for a while. We'll be saying uh, goodbye to him. He's going to the most amazing home and family this week, and we're delighted. But, you know, there's a lot of heartbreak that comes with that, so... This Friday, please uh, pray for us that we would find strength and comfort in the Lord. Hey, this week we are looking at the next installment of the comforts of Christ. And this week, here we go, we are thinking about friendship. Now, now I wonder what comes into your mind when I say the word friend. I mean, do, do you have a memory, maybe a decade or two ago? Yeah, that was good with my friends. Or do, do, do a couple of faces come to your mind when you hear the word friend? Or are you like the vast majority of this world and you think to yourself, I wish I had some of those. I wish I had stronger, deeper, better, truer friendships in my life. And and I know it's been said 101 times before. We live in the most connected generation in all of history, don't we? I mean, people, connections with people are at our fingertips, in our pockets, on our phones, on our computers. People are everywhere. And yet at the same time, our generation is the most disconnected, is the most lonely, and the most friendless generation that has ever been. You know, for the vast majority of people who live in this world, we hunger, we ache, we long for deeper, truer, better friendships. We want to be connected. I want to read some excerpts from an article I found just recently. It featured in the New York Times in 2008 by author, I'm going to try, Hal Niedzwicki, I think that's how you say his name. But it's called Facebook in a Crowd. I'm going to read some chunks of this, and I think this kind of diagnoses the aching that we all feel when it comes to friendship. Let me read some of this. One day this past summer, he writes, I logged onto Facebook and realized I was very close to having 700 online friends. 
Not bad, I thought to myself, absurdly proud of all of the cyber pals, connections, acquaintances, and even strangers I had managed to sign up. But the number made me uneasy as well. I had just fallen out with a friend I'd spent a lot of time with. I disconnected with a few others for usual reasons, jobs in other cities, family life, limiting social time. So I decided, he goes on, to have a Facebook party. I used Facebook to create an in-person event and invite my digital chums. Some of them, of course, didn't live in my city, Toronto, but I figured it's summer and people travel. You never know who might be in town. Now, Facebook gives the option, or at least it did in 2008, of RSVPing in three categories, attending, maybe attending, not attending. And after a week, the responses stopped coming in when we're ready to be tabulated. Fifteen people said they were attending, 60 said maybe, and a few hundred said not, and the rest just ignored. So I figured about 20 people would show up, and that sounded pretty good to me, 20 new friends. So on the evening in question, I love this, I took a shower, I shaved, I splashed on my tingly man perfume, I put on new trousers, a favorite shirt, brimming with optimism, I went down to the neighborhood watering hole and waited. And waited. Here we go. And waited. And eventually, one person showed up. I chatted to my new potential friend, Paula, doing my best to pretend I wasn't dismayed or embarrassed. But I was too self-conscious to be genuine. I kept apologizing for the lack of attendance. I looked over my shoulder every time I heard the door open and someone new came in. But Paula was nice about it, assuring me that probably just felt shy about the idea of making a new friend. She said she herself had almost decided not to come. Eventually, we ran out of things to say, he goes on. Anyway, she had work in the morning. I picked up the tab and watched as she strode out, not entirely sure if our friendship would grow. He goes on to write about the end of the evening. By now, it was midnight. No one else was coming. I'd have to think up some other way to revitalize my social life. I ordered one more drink. It was delicious and bittersweet. 700 friends, and I was drinking alone. Now, I know we might laugh at how Facebook worked in 2008 through that, and even how Facebook is when it comes to events and its whole idea of friendship. But I think there's something that rings true for every single one of us in that article, that we are surrounded by people, and yet we can feel lonely, we can feel disconnected, and we can long for deep, lasting, true friendship, and we struggle to know where to find it. You ever been there before? I think we know what that feels like. Now, I think this morning we could speculate why it is that we find friendship so difficult, couldn't we? We, we could point to social media. Ah, that's the problem. You know, they've completely distorted what the commitment of friendship even means. Or, or maybe it's down to the fact we just struggle to open up and we feel woefully awkward in every single conversation we have. Or maybe it's because it's the people around us don't care about us in the same way we care about them. I think we could speculate about the reasons, but that would only compound the pain that we already feel. We long for deep, real, true connections with others. We want friends. I think we're all there this morning. Here's the amazing thing about this passage. 
is that Jesus is spending some of these last farewell moments with his disciples. And he says something absolutely show-stopping to them. I don't call you servants, he says in this. I call you friends, doesn't he? I don't know about you, but that makes me stop in my tracks for a moment. I just want to lean in and listen. Hang on a second. What did he just say? I mean, he's the king of kings, isn't he? Lord of lords. The son of God himself. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The alpha and the omega. The one who was, who is, and is to come. Him, he calls his people friends. I mean, that makes me want to lean in and listen. That gets me curious. That makes me want to start to ask some, start asking some questions. Well, well hang on a second. What, what does Jesus mean when he calls us friends? So surely Jesus being perfect means that his friendship is perfect. So what does it mean to know him as a perfect friend? What difference does his friendship have on my life? Knowing Jesus as friend, what does that mean? So that's our million pound question I want to ask this morning. What does it mean that Jesus calls us his friend? How do we understand, how should we understand his friendship? So I want to split this up into four simple stepping stones for us this morning. I want to have a look at the foundation of friendship. If you're a note taker, I'll go through twice, don't worry. The foundation of friendship, the openness of friendship, the pain of friendship, and the model of his friendship. Okay, four simple stepping stones. The foundation of his friendship, the pain, sorry, the openness of his friendship, then the pain of his friendship, and then the model of his friendship. We'll look at those stepping stones. And my hope is that in exploring these four areas, Two things will happen within us. Number one, we will be awash this morning with the reality of Jesus calling us friend. That we would be changed by that. We would be comforted. We would be renewed, restored, filled, and strengthened by the knowledge of his friendship. And then the second thing, I hope that we can be better friends to the lonely world around us. I hope that by understanding his friendship, we become better friends. Because that's often what happens in our lives in Christ, is that what we receive on, from him receive, overflows in our life to others. You know, when, when we know his grace, we become more gracious. When we know his forgiveness, we become more forgiving. When we know God's generosity, we become generous people. When we know his perfect friendship, we become better friends to the lonely world around us. Okay, shall we jump in and look at those four stepping stones? Let's get the first one. The foundation of friendship. Okay, John 15. Should we look at the first couple of verses of our text this morning? It goes like this. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, some of those words right there, we have heard before in our study, Comforts of Christ. We we have heard Jesus say, love one another. So, Jesus' repetition should cause us to say, well, okay, Jesus doesn't want us to miss this vibrant, communal reality of loving one another amongst ourselves. So, Jesus is emphasizing that point, that he wants us to live lives that that concentrate on seeing the interests of others greater than our own. Con- you know, f- hone in on sacrificing ourselves so that another might have and 
be advantaged through us, to love one another. But there's something here we haven't heard before. Jesus says, I have called you friends. Now, follow some of the logic we're seeing here, and we see it all over these farewell moments with Jesus. Jesus is saying, I want you to live in this reality of loving one another, and you can find strength, resources, example, roots for this in the way that I have loved you. And I, Jesus is saying, love you like that because that's an overflow of the love I experience as God. See that? Reverse to to verse uh, 9 in chapter 15. We saw it last week. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 12, love one another. So do you see the logic here? Love one another. Be like this amongst yourselves. Why? Because I've loved you that way. And the way I've loved you is an overflow of what I experience as God. So what Jesus seems to be doing here is rooting the very thing we experience in our life from an overflow from his relationship as a member of the Trinity. Now, this will bend our mind a little bit here, but I think it's just incredible. Throughout these farewell moments... Jesus has been giving us these wonderful windows into the life and the love he experiences as the Son of God. Let's look at a couple of verses here. Jesus shows us very openly the relational reality of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look chapter 14, for example, and verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jump down, same chapter, 14, 20, uh, let's do 20. Because in that, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. You could flip over to John 17. We see the same amazing reality going on. Jesus praying to the Heavenly Father, verse 23, I in them, you in me, that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me. I wonder if you're seeing that. It's easy to miss because it's just, it's so amazing, so difficult sometimes for us to get our heads around. But what Jesus is doing is he's giving us a picture of what he himself experiences within the very life and love of God himself. Jesus is showing us that the other person-centered way of life within the Trinity. He's showing us the incredible relational closeness within the Trinity. Jesus seems to be showing us here that if you're looking for friendship, you're looking for that relational closeness, I'll tell you where it starts. It starts in God himself. That if the Trinity is the root of reality, then friendship is the root of reality in the Trinity itself. Let me show you, read a quote to you. Theologian Bruce Ware, in his book, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love this. He says, he, speaking of God, is a socially related being within himself. In this, keep following me, the tripersonal relationship, the three persons love one another, support one another, assist one another, team with one another, honor one another, communicate with one another, and in everything respect and enjoy one another. Keep following. This is awesome. There is, they are in need of nothing but each other through all eternity. Such is the richness and the fullness and the completion of the social relationships that exist in the Trinity. 
D.A. Carson says on this same passage right here, in eternity past, the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father. There has always been an other orientation to the love of God. You get these wonderful windows from Jesus as to what it means to be God. What it means to know that eternal cosmic friendship in the Trinity. Love what Tim Keller says, always so eloquently, but he says, friendship, therefore, must be at the very root of reality. The foundation of friendship is within God himself. Now think about this. This makes sense to us. Why we long for deep and truer friendships. Why we long to have that deep connection with other people. Why we avoid loneliness like the plague. It it, it makes sense why we run away from rejection a hundred miles an hour. It makes sense why our disconnected lockdown living has had such an incredible impact on some of our mental health situations. Why? Because we are created in the image of our God. And if our God is this incredible friendship within the Trinity, then what are we imaged after? We imaged after that God. So that means we're going to come out as relational creatures, aren't we? Have a look in Genesis chapter 1. There are a couple of verses here I want to point you to. Verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. I wonder if you can see that. That we have been made in the image of God. Our God is relational. At the root of reality is friendship. So that makes complete sense why we are relational beings. Why we long to be connected. Let us make man. Man and woman, he created them. That's why we are relational. Friendship is at the very root of reality. Friendship goes deeper than our DNA. I think it's amazing. um, A quote from Mother Teresa I heard years ago. At least I think it's her. Yeah, it was her. She said, um, she said, the greatest poverty I've ever seen is loneliness. If you know her life and what she did, that's quite an incredible thing to say. Because she spends her life in Calcutta, didn't she? Dealing with people who had leprosy. She dealt with the outcasts. She dealt with the nobodies. She dealt with the ones that the world forgot and met their needs. So if anybody has seen incredible physical poverty in the world, I'm sure it was her. And yet she comes out the other side of that and says, well, the very worst thing I've seen is not that, it's loneliness. That's harder for a person to take. So I think her observations show us something very fundamental about us as people, is that we are relational and we long for those connections. We need friends. We are imaged after a cosmic, eternal friendship. That's the foundation of friendship. Now let's have a look at these next two. The openness of friendship and the pain of friendship. Now these two, I think, are the two pillars of Jesus' perfect friendship. His openness and the pain of friendship. So let's have a look at verse 15 again, shall we? Let me reread this. The openness of friendship. No longer do I call you servants... For a servant does not know what his master is doing. 
But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Think about that for a moment, the contrast that we see. What's the contrast? We have servants and we have friends. How does Jesus describe the the servant? Well, the servant has no idea what the master is doing. The, The servant isn't let in. He doesn't know the plans. He doesn't know the motives. He doesn't know the purpose. Servant doesn't know. On the other side of the contrast, we have friends. How does Jesus describe the friends? The friends are friends because all that the Father has made known to me, or the Father has said to me, I have made known to you. So, so the contrast here is showing us something about Jesus, what Jesus means about his friendship. Is that we are not servants who are kept in the dark, who are kept out of the inside information. Friends are the people who are let in. Friends are the people who know the secrets. Friends are the people who are let all the way in. Now, the Hebrew understanding of friendship is really interesting. You can see this in a couple of places in the Bible. In in Hebrew, the same word for friend is the word for secret. I think it's in Psalm 25, verse 14. Uh, The friend friend of the Lord is the one who fears him, something like that. Some of, your, some of your translations will say the friend of the Lord. The other one will say the counsel or the secrets of the Lord. It's the same in Job 29 verse 4. Because translators don't know what to do with it. So, well, it's either secret or it's friend because they're both the same word. Well, you think about what Jesus is saying in John 15. I have called you friends because I have made known this to you. Jesus is saying my perfect friendship means that I let you in. I give you the secrets. You can see who I am and you know what I'm doing. Now, we might want to ask the question at this point, well, what is it that Jesus lets us see then? What is it? What does he make known to us? I love what D.A. Carson says on this. Jesus is at pains to allow us to see or to show us his plans, his purposes, and his motivations. And we see that in Jesus. We've seen it all in this this upper room, haven't we? We've seen it in these farewell moments. He is letting us all the way in. He's showing us his motivations and his plans and his purposes. Right from the beginning of this is he was washing their feet. And he's saying, here's the heart of the cross. You want to see my motivation? It's right here. He's telling them his plans. I'm going to prepare a place for you. The Father's house with many rooms. He tells them about the coming of the Holy Spirit and about the Holy Spirit, how he is going to be a comforter, an advocate, a counseling presence, a helper in their life. Jesus lets his people all the way in. That is the openness of his friendship. You see, in Jesus, we see a complete transparency. In Jesus, he lets us see it all. You see, that's what it means for him to be our perfect friend. This is how he understands friendship, is for him to be a friend to us. He lets us know. We see the secrets. Now, in many ways, we see this to be true in our day-to-day relationships, don't we? That when somebody lets us in, or we let someone else in, what happens? Friendship begins to grow. That's how relationships work. Without letting people in, friendships don't happen. I mean, mean, think about it. Think about it. When somebody has said to you, they've kind of come clean and said, look, here's what I'm really struggling with. Or, Or here are my joys. Here's my dreams. Here are my sins. Can you help me? We don't run in the other direction as quickly as we can, do we? Because in those moments, we intuitively begin to realize, aha, here I have is a friend that I've been looking for. 
Even think about how this works in a, in a community group. It's amazing when it happens. But those moments when somebody says, you know what, I'm going to take the mask off. <laughs> I'm, not going to, I'm not just going to hide anymore. I'm going to tell everyone how it is. I know this is a safe space, so I'm going to say it. What happens when somebody begins to reveal who they are? They, they let people know. What happens when people are transparent and vulnerable? Does the rest of the group get in their cars and drive home as quickly as they can? No. What happens in that moment is the relationships within the group are galvanized. They're strengthened. The bonds of fellowship and friendship begin to grow even deeper. And even other people in the group might begin to say, hey, I can be transparent too. I can show you who I am and let you in. And when people do that, what happens? Friendship. We see in Jesus, we have a perfect friend. In Jesus, we have a friend who says, I am letting you all the way in. That's the openness of his friendship. But now I want to look at the pain of his friendship because that's the second pillar of true friendship. You not only have to let people in, it hurts too. Have, have a look at verse 13 in this same passage. Greater love has no one than this, than he who, than someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the pain of friendship right here. Now you might look at that verse and think to yourself, well, is that the greatest love when you lay your life down for a friend? Surely the greatest love would be laying my life down for an enemy. I mean, I don't want to lay my life down, rather not just yet. But if it's for a friend, I'm okay with that. But for an enemy, for that person who hurt me and has changed my life and I'm haunted, wait, no. That's, that's way harder to, die, to lay your life down for an enemy, isn't it? Well, think about in Jesus. Those two things aren't separate. In making us his friends, Jesus is dying for his enemies. The the Bible says really clearly that we are enemies of God until we've experienced his grace. We We are at odds. In our sin, we have our fists raised. If you don't know Jesus this morning, maybe you feel something of that wrestle in your own heart. But when we experience God's grace, we are transformed from his enemies into his friends. And in Jesus laying his life down for us is turning his enemies into his friends. As he dies for his enemies, he makes us his friends. Now Jesus does exactly this, doesn't he? I will lay my life down for my friends. Jesus does exactly that. Just a few hours on from this point, right? Jesus is betrayed arrested, stands before the authorities. We have a bunch of Romans wanting to keep the peace, some Jewish religious leaders who are bloodthirsty, and Jesus ends up carrying his cross to the hill of Calvary where he dies. But we know the inside information to the story because Jesus has let us all the way in. Because what we see at the cross is Jesus laying his life down, submitting to the will of the Father. Jesus takes our sin in our place. He dies the death we deserved. And then we know that Jesus rises from the dead to win a victory that we could never earn. So Jesus does exactly what he's saying right here, that in his perfect friendship, he knows the pain of it, in that his perfect friendship says, I will give myself to you. Now I hope some of us are comforted by that this morning. To hear that in Jesus' perfect friendship, he says to us, 
I will give myself to you. He is that committed to us. He is that focused on our interests. He is that willing to sacrifice himself so that we could know him. That he will go to those lengths. Jesus is that constant. Jesus is that committed. Jesus will never let go. You know why that's a comfort? It's because there's so many of us who have experienced deep wounds from people who said they were friends. How many of us know friends that have stabbed us in the back? Friends who gave us a cold shoulder when we really needed an embrace? How many of us can point to moments in our lives where we ache because of what a friend did to us? If you're there this morning, there's probably a lot of people in this room who've been there too. But in Jesus, we have a friend who not only says, I let you in, but I will give myself for you and I won't ever let you go. Now think about these two pillars of friendship right here. His openness and his pain. We see both of these in the cross, don't we? In the cross, Jesus says, I will let you see who I am. Total transparency, right? I mean, even physically, Jesus is naked on the cross. We like to put a loincloth on him, but no, people were crucified naked. So we see all that he is physically, but we actually see the heart of God at play on the cross as well. We see all that he is. We see his overwhelming love. We see his justice. We see his kindness. We see his wrath. We see his mercy and we see his heart in the cross. He lets us all the way in. But also on the cross, we see the pain of friendship at play because Jesus goes to the cross and he lays his life down and says, I will give myself to you. He lets us all the way in and he gives himself for us. Now these two pillars of friendship, we see in the perfect friendship of Jesus. Now our last stepping stone this morning is the model of his friendship. Because here's the thing. When we experience perfect friendship with Jesus, when we know him as a perfect friend, that begins to change our life and inform the way that we are friends to others in this lonely and disconnected world. Because we have received this friendship. We now live out this friendship to the world around us. Okay, what does that mean? We'll take these two pillars. I'll let you see who I am. And I'll give myself for you. Let's go back to this verse. The, la- the first and the last verses in this paragraph. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Go down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, that whatever you ask in, ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So there's something of what Jesus has just said about his relationship to us that he wants to see amongst us. You see, when we receive the perfect friendship of Jesus, we can be better friends to others. How do we do that? Those two pillars again. We say, I will let you in. And I will give myself for you. Let's think about all of those. You know when you say, I will let you in? That's terrifying, isn't it? I'll let you in to see me. I will show you my dreams. I will show you my sufferings. I will show you my joys and I will show you my sins. 
It's terrifying to let people in. To live like an open book. I often describe friendship. It's it's like putting a sword in someone else's hand with your name on it. And you're just praying that they're going to be kind to you. It is such a massive risk to let people in. I'll show you who I am. We're risking humiliation, aren't we? We're risking being belittled. They, They could make us seem unimportant. They could ignore us and reject us when they really find out who we are. This is a scary thing, isn't it, to let people in? And you might be asking the question, well, why should I even do that? Why should I let people in to see me? Simple answer, because without it, you can't have friends. Friendship is built on that transparency and that vulnerability. Friendship is formed through us saying, I will let you in and someone else doing the same. This is who I am, warts and all. This is a scary thing. It is a risk, but my goodness, it's worth it. This is who I am. Now, you might be asking the question, well, (laughs) I, I know it's risky and I know it's scary. How do I go about this? Well, there's a million and one ways that's going to look like, but what I will say is that we're a church. We're not any old church, we're BRBC. And we're a church that is captivated by the message of grace and the good news of Jesus. And the message of grace transforms us into a people where it's okay to say, this is who I am. Right? Because when we know the good news, what what does that do to us? What does it do? Well, it brings a realization that dismantles our pride and our superiority. It takes us to a place of humility. Because to be a Christian is to say, I have been made right on the basis of Jesus' cross and his person, everything he's done for me. I have been made right on the basis of what Jesus has done, not because of what I've done. You see, the soundtrack of being a Christian is not, I'm really trying to get it together so everyone can see that I'm doing all right. The soundtrack of being a Christian is, I've collapsed in on the acknowledgement that I can't get it right, but Jesus has for me. And you see, if that underpins everything that we do, then that's going to change how we interact. It it takes us from those judgmental side glances to an empathetic embrace. It changes the way we respond to people's shortcomings and failures. And when they open up to us, it makes us gentle people with one another. It turns this place into a safe place when we can say, this is who I am. And you know when we begin to do that, we experience friendship all within the perfect friendship of Jesus. I will show you who I am. But the second thing is when we say, I will give myself for you. I mean, that's just as hard. (laughs) I mean, that's being in a place where we are, we reach out intentionally. That, that we gladly are inconvenienced by people around us again and again. That's when we willingly say, your interests, not mine. I will give myself for you. Picture the scene. It's a Sunday afternoon. We're outside of COVID restrictions. So it feels good. And, and somebody's invited you around after church for a barbecue. The sun is blazing hot. It's one of those summer days that just lifts the spirits like nothing else. 
And you're in their back garden, you're sitting on a patio, and you've got this really comfortable lounge patio chair, and you've even got your feet up. You feel relaxed enough to do that, and it's one of those nice chairs that doesn't dig into the back of your heels, so it feels good. And the kids are playing nicely for the first time this week. They're not fighting on the climbing frame. This is great. And so you can see them, you just chill out. Then you get a waft from the barbecue. You can hear the sausages pop. And then somebody calls, what kind of cheese would you like on your burger? Oh, this is going to be great. And then the phone goes. Hi, I need you. You've got a choice in that moment. They say, I need you. I've just been called into hospital. I don't have anyone else. Husband doesn't drive. He's got the kids. I wonder if you could bring a bag of everything that I need to the hospital. I'm so scared right now. Could you come? Now, how many moments in our lives are we faced with those inconveniences? But it's in those moments we have a choice to be friends to the people around us. To be the people who say, I will give myself for you. Your interests, not mine. To be a friend is to say you matter to me. Now my hope is that we become those kinds of friends to one another. But how and why? Because we have received the perfect friendship of Jesus. The son of God himself who goes to the cross. And in so doing he says, I will let you see all that I am. And I will give myself to you. So may we be the kind of people who go from here with those two awarenesses, knowing his friendship, but also being those friends to others. We can't coerce friendship. We'll still be hungry for it. We'll still ache for friends. Coercion and friendship don't go very well together. But the one thing we can do is to be the friend that others need. So may we be the kind of people who are so captivated with that show-stopping reality that Jesus, he's called us friends. Let's pray, shall we? And then turn to communion. Heavenly Father, our minds are blown by the kindness you have shown us today. That in Jesus and through his cross, we today stand as friends of Jesus. Father, would you help us to see and to know that friendship? Would you help us to see the true gravity of what it means for Jesus to say, I have made known to you and I have laid my life down for you. And then, Father, we pray you would help us to be so immersed in friendship with Jesus that out of that place of comfort in him, we can be the friends that our lonely, disconnected, and friendless world needs. Help us to be a kind of people who say, I'll show you who I am, and I'll give myself to you. All because we stand in the friendship with Jesus. And we're praying in his name. Amen.